Most of you know that I have three children, and I will tell you that there is not even a little teeny weeny part of me that wants to see my children grow up to be poor or hungry or mournful or reviled. Indeed, I would like for my children to grow up to be quite the opposite, financially secure and well-fed, humor-filled, and respected in their community. I think that every parent in this room wants the same thing for their children, just as every person wants these things for themselves and for those they love. We might not know exactly what a good life looks like, but we do have some sense. And we know that for the most part, if it can be avoided, it's about minimizing pain and suffering. And so we might wonder, or we should wonder, just what Jesus is doing here, especially if we are honest. What is Jesus doing in our gospel lesson this morning? Because it seems very, very counterintuitive. Well, let me start by saying it's not hard to figure out why the gospel of Luke's sermon on the plain with these beatitudes is less famous than the beatitudes found in the sermon on the mount from the gospel of Matthew. Matthew's version is longer. Here he is missing in this list of Beatitudes from Luke, we are missing important blessings for folks like peacemakers and the pure of heart. But Matthew's Beatitudes also have a more spiritual component to them. For instance, Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. But here in Luke's gospel, Jesus focuses his attention on the literal poor and the literal hungry. The concern is on the concrete realities without any abstraction. And what Jesus offers is God's blessing upon those who suffer from these concrete realities. Blessed are the poor and the hungry and the grief-stricken and those who were hated for Jesus' sake. And the blessings here are a pronouncement. They are performative. They make real what they name. It is like pronouncing a couple as married or like saying, I forgive you. Or like saying, I am sorry. Here, Jesus declares God's blessing for the outcast and the downtrodden. God's blessing is for those who are forgotten and ignored. God's blessing is for the insignificant and the inconvenient, the the superfluous and the expendable, the unwanted and the pointless people. All of whom are declared God's beloved children worthy of God's blessing. They are the object of God's love and adoration. And that is wonderful news 
For even if the rest of us forget these marginalized people, God does not. And that would be all well and good if we left it right there, wouldn't it? But then comes the rub that that leaves us scratching our heads or a little nervous. To those of us who are, are very important people, who are necessary and needed, who are essential personnel, God says, watch out. God says, woe. Not just woe as in be sorrowful, but woe as in put the brakes on. For Jesus tells us there is a danger in our abundance. There is a danger in our security and contentment and in our respected status. There is a danger in our security and in our station in life. Jesus is telling us to beware because it is the wealth, it is the full belly, it is the laughter and the respect of our peers that can make us greedy or can make us cruel or can make us fearful and most of all prideful. It is these good things that can convince us that we pretty much have life figured out and that we don't need help. It is the good things in life, like our wealth, like our full belly, like our joy and our laughter, like our respect in the community. And indeed, these are good things. Let's not fool ourselves. These are good but it is these good things in life that can cause us to live under the illusion that we've got it all figured out, that we do not need God, and that we do not need others. It is these good things that can therefore wall us off from God and wall us off from our fellow human beings. And if these good things wall us off, then Jesus tells us these good things will be all we get. Jesus says they will be our consolation, and indeed they will be the source of our grief. Instead of walling ourselves off, instead of us being lost in our own self-contentment, Jesus is looking to, to shock us to shock us into recognizing our need. Jesus is looking to tear down our walls so that we might let go of the illusion of our self-sufficiency and recognize our need for mercy and for forgiveness, for wholeness and for healing. For we cannot know forgiveness unless we know that we have caused harm. We will not seek healing unless we know that we are ill. And we cannot receive grace unless we know we need grace. God will not work in us without us. 
It is only in recognizing our need that we can let God in. It is in recognizing our need that our woes can become blessings. Out of our need, we can begin to give thanks to God for all that we have and thus start to learn how to use what we have for God's purposes. And this recognition of our need also brings with it a recognition that we are all in this thing called life together, that we need one another. We need even the downtrodden and the superfluous. Indeed, Jesus insists that we even need our enemies, that we need those who would beg from us. They, too, should be the objects of our love because God loves them. And just as God loves them, so too should we. All Saints Sunday, this Sunday, is a day where we can come to recognize and celebrate our bond to our fellow human beings throughout the ages. We come to to celebrate our connection to Christians throughout time. We remember our connection to others who who have witnessed to the power of the gospel. We are called to remember those who have declared and thought word and deed God's love revealed to us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We remember the great and lofty saints who've made a profound witness in their time. And we also remember those smaller figures, maybe even those personal figures, who shared God's love in seemingly smaller ways, but in ways that were no less profound than the great. Today is a day to remember that we live our lives of faith built on the lives of others. And that indeed, the faith of future generations will be built on what we build in our own time and in our own place. Today is a day to remember that in the waters of baptism, we have all been knit together, one to another, as members of the body of Christ. God has woven us together through time and space to receive God's grace together. In this, we have been blessed so that we might share a blessing with others. We have received God's light and love so that we might share that light and love with the world. And to do so, Jesus calls us to lay aside those things, even those good things, that separate us from God and from our fellow human beings. We are called to live in solidarity with one another, acknowledging our own need and then letting that need open our hearts to God and to others. And it is as we open our hearts to receive God's grace that our lives can make God's love visible in the world. For each of us, as individuals, is called in all our need to reveal God's love with our lives. And we do that best when we do that together. For the church 
is, the, is called to be the space where, where Jesus becomes visibly active. The church is called to be a space where Jesus can be active by the power of God's Holy Spirit. But this is, happens not because of some power of our own. It happens not because of some, some great power that we well up in ourselves, but rather it is something that comes out of our openness and indeed out of our brokenness. We are called to be wounded healers in the world. And so today, let's celebrate our bonds of connection with one another, our bonds of connection that exist through time and through space. And let us recognize that it is God's grace and love that empowers it all. It is God's love and grace active through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives that empowers us to bear witness in the world. Amen.